0: Disclosure. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, any and all information presented in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making any decision. Good evening, everyone. Ben Keaty here with the Wealth Crypto Podcast. I am recording this intro on a Monday, so hopefully, you all had a great weekend. But this last week, I had the pleasure of hosting Paul Karger. He is the managing partner and founder of Twin Focus, which is a multi family office serving ultra high net worth individuals globally. They're based out of Boston and London and serve about 40 to 50 families of ultra high net worth status. So, this was a very interesting conversation about uh, Paul starting his practice the differences between the ultra high net worth and then also what more retail investors can learn from them and overall just a fascinating conversation so without much further chatting we'll just jump right into it thanks and we're live hello paul how are you doing great great good. to be here good yeah happy to have you i'm excited for this so uh for everyone listening i have on paul carger right yeah paul carger um he is a wealth manager uh, based out of Boston, runs, what's the name of your firm, Twin Focus. And maybe Paul, I'll just pass it over you, give a little bit about your background, how you got to where you are, and we can just kind of go from there.
1: Sure. Um, so again, Ben, thanks. Really happy to be here and um, you know, always happy to have anyone listen to anything I want to say. Um, so I run a firm called Twin Focus, uh, which I founded about 17, 18 years ago with my twin brother, Wes. Um, with the vision of serving ultra high net worth families really across the wealth spectrum, you know, in terms of their wealth needs from, you know, the more traditional wealth advisor, family office type services, including tax, legal investment, charitable stuff to really everything else, you know, helping to solve the problems in their lives or as my oldest son calls me a fixer, you know, I, I fix the problems every day, um, and so uh, I started off in the business in the late 90s. I was a stockbroker at Payne Weber, which was ultimately bought by UBS. And I had some early success there. I started my own group, um, you know, always kind of fake it till you make it with this, you know, grandiose vision of working with much larger clients, um, but learned really, you know, from the ground up I started my career dialing for dollars, cold calling out of a book uh, and, you know. Pitching for two hundred and fifty thousand dollar accounts and getting porched in meetings and you know just kind of grinding away um, until in two thousand and three I met a uh, pers- well, who became a prospective client prospective client um, who uh, had just exited a company and I went down to see him from Boston to New Jersey and realized didn't didn't know the parlance but realized that he needed something more analogous to a family office as opposed to just another wealth advisor at a big shop i was in at ubs sure. and my my twin brother had joined me um about a year before at ubs from uh, another financial institution and um and i called up my brother after the meeting and i said wes you know we need to leave ubs we need to start you know an independent firm that can work with these types of wealthy families there's got to be more out there to which he said you know calm down um, <laughs> You know." Yeah. We, we, you know, I'll always, you know, don't put the cart before the horse and, you know, just chill out a bit. But it got me thinking that, you know, there there must be um, a better solution for families out there that have uh, a larger larger balance sheet and a larger set of complexities and nuances. And, um, and so I left with my twin brother. I left UBS in 2006 uh, with this vision of working with these mega large clients. Um, it didn't happen overnight, you know. As I mentioned, it's taken us like you know seventeen, eighteen years to get here. But today, we we oversee somewhere between seven and eight billion, depending on the day, uh, for about forty families globally. Um, we're okay. headquartered in Boston. We have an office in London. Um, and you know, as mentioned, we we help these families really deal with really all aspects of their lives that touch the money, from mm-hmm. intergenerational family dynamics. Um, you know, everything from buying and selling properties and businesses and airplanes and boats and negotiating children's prenups and divorces and, you know, really anything that touches the money. So.
0: Interesting. My mind immediately just flashed to succession. I'm not sure if you're watching that or not, but, um, I'm sure the, the Roy family could have used a lot of someone like you. Yeah, sure.
1: <laughs> I, I, I've seen a couple episodes. My my wife watches it. Um, I've seen a couple. It's, you know, that's that's real stuff. You know, as yeah. I say all the time, I mean, you know, just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you don't have real problems. In fact, sometimes, like, you know, when you have real money, you have even more problems. I, I, I totally see how people that win the lottery can blow through their money, you know, yeah. without proper planning and without sure. a team in place. Uh, and having just good lawyers and accountants around you, that's, that's only going to get you partially the way there,
2: mm-hmm. you know, you
1: need, you need a team that can really think through all of the issues and, and, and a team that's willing to push back on you because okay. I think part of the problem is, you know, people make a lot of money. And sometimes when you're in a position to make a lot of money, you're, you're surrounded by yes, people, yes, men, yes, women, mm-hmm. that you're the boss and they, they have to say yes to, and, um, you know, and that extends into when you have a liquidity event. You know, if you surround yourself by a bunch of yes people, you're going to get kind of the same stuff. And no, everybody's afraid to kind of tell you no or hey, learn from our experience because they're they're afraid that you know they don't have a job tomorrow. You know, when you're
2: sure.
1: signing the back of the check versus the front front of the check, you're just kind of more reticent and on pushing back on certain sure. issues. But you know, for us, like you know, we we work with these families, and um, you know, resoundingly. The, these when our clients our clients give kind of you know reference calls to prospective clients they tell them that you know twin focus is just more comprehensive than anyone else and helping you think through every issue that you could possibly come across sure uh, and number two they just don't bullshit us they just tell us the truth and, yeah. and it's true we, we you know we, we do we tell our clients the truth if we think something's a bad idea or a bad investment idea we're, we're honest about it we don't stop people we're People can spend their money or invest their money however they want. I I often tell my clients like, "If this doesn't work out, we'll be here to clean it up." It's what we do. (laughs) You know, we clean we clean things up. Yeah, um, your son calling you a fixer there, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Fixer man. Yeah. Um,
0: Interesting. So you 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 started like we just spoke about dialing for dollars back in the day, being a stock stock jockey. Um, When you look back on like your career and how you got here like what what is kind of interesting to you in your development to go from you know solo guy trying to make it to you know someone who clearly is doing really well um what what do you think i don't know what 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 comes to mind
1: yeah it's a good question i think um you know, I think you got to go a little bit further back. Like, you know, we were raised by a single mom and we just, hard work is just in our DNA. You know, we just, we we watched our mom work hard and there, there was just no other option. Like if we wanted to have anything, we just, you know, early on, we realized that if like we work, we can make some money. The harder we work, the more money we make. We yeah. want to get stuff and hang out with kids that we thought were rich kids, although, you know, by today's <laughs> standards, like they weren't. But, Um, You know, they're like upper middle class, middle class, upper middle class. But if we wanted to have a car or, you know, be able to do those things, we needed to work. So I think that was definitely in my DNA from the very beginning. And that that drive and determination is what kind of keeps you coming in. And, you know, somebody said to me recently, oh, you know, you're into martial arts. It it teaches a lot of discipline. Well, I mean, you kind of learn the discipline thing over time, because if you keep showing up, like all of a sudden you just. All of a sudden, you kind of get better at things when you just keep sure. repeating them. Yeah. Um, but I will say, you know, specifically as it relates to careers, which introduces some new complexities we'll talk about with AI, is I think, you know, part of it is like, you know, when you start from zero, you kind of have to learn Brick by brick, you have to learn mm-hmm. like how to do spreadsheet work, how to write a letter to a client, yeah, how to yeah. trade, how to analyze an investment. Or part of that is book knowledge. Part of it is just kind of you know street knowledge. You know, yeah, learning it, and making it. mistakes, yeah. doing it, doing it. And um, you know, and as I look back, you know, interestingly enough, I remember when I was going to work as a stockbroker. I was working in investment banking for a firm in Boston, and you know, I, I w I wasn't happy doing discounted cash flow models. And everybody kept saying to me that w- that I worked with, oh Paul, you know, you're you're re- seem like you're really good at sales and storytelling. You you should go become a broker. And I was like, oh man, stock broker. Like it's kind of like, you know, low man on the totem pole, if you yeah. will. Like I do I really want to use car salesman. Like, you sure. know, do I really want to do something like that? And you know, I of course I had no complete idea how it would all turn out. But, you know, I had all these friends working in venture and working in real estate, working in private equity. And, and, you know, here I was, you know, dialing for dollars, crossing out, I think I even have a phone book somewhere in my (laughs) backdress here, but, you know, crossing out name by name and hey, can I send you my business card? You know, and, you know, all that stuff was preparing me at some point to run this business that I run today, because Mm -hmm. I mean, I learned about, had that hand-to-hand combat of selling, about, you know, hiring people, building your own business. And, you know, fast forward to today, like all those people that I was jealous of, they all like want to come work for me, right? <laughs> and and because now, you know, who would have thought that these guys and gals that started off as brokers, it became wealth managers, and eventually evolved into this kind of family office model, right? Yeah. Um. You know, but I didn't start out with 100 or $500 million clients. I, I literally started out with $250,000 clients, you yeah. know, that, you know, I, I remember when I did my first $10,000 in commission and I got like a Tiffany money clip from my managing, managing yeah. director and Payne Weber. So, you know, it's just, it's stair steps, but it's, it's, you know, the one thing martial arts does teach you is that like, there's always somebody bigger and better out there, but it's just coming in and putting in the time and you kind of lift your head up every now and then you got another notch in your belt or you got another color belt or something and you just keep it moving. So,
0: yeah, yeah. What, uh, what, what do you kind of think about the difference between like the level of client you serve now versus, you know, that, that account that you just mentioned, that retail two hundred and fifty thousand dollar account. What what like similarities stand out regardless of the wealth level that people can kind of take away from, you know, your experience? And then I guess maybe what is different about, you know, somebody who has done incredibly well versus, you know, I would say I guess more air quotes normal people.
1: Similarities are that people are people are people are people, right? Yeah. And 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 money is very emotional, sure. so people yeah. act and it's very personal and it's very emotional and so hmm. you know people you know react in in similar sorts of ways, um, even when you look at really wealthy individuals, depending on how they got there, how they made sure. their money, did it all happen at once? did they have a yeah. start a company all of a sudden they had a big exit, or did they make it slowly over time? Sure. Um, you know, affects your impact, you know, the, the way you, way you look at things. So I think, I think the biggest similarity is like, it's a people business. Yeah. Um, but I would say it stops there. It is a completely yeah. different business in working with a very limited number of ultra high net worth families mm-hmm. versus working with hundreds or thousands of clients where you're running a model portfolio and you're cranking out a financial plan every few years. It's, it's, sure. it's, it's totally different. Yeah. Um, And in fact, you know, the reason that we're so focused exclusively on the kind of ultra high net worth client is because, you know, as I say all the time to my team, there's so much scope creep in what we do Mm -hmm. and you need to get paid for that scope creep. And, you know, we need to get paid for telling the client not to invest in the same way we would get paid to tell them to invest in something. And you know, when you're in the retail world, you're only getting paid to tell them to invest. Yeah, you you, you, yeah. you have to sell them something or a service, and, and, and you're not looking at external things. It's kind of house view on things and product of the day or whatever. Mm-hmm. But in the position we're in now, it's you know extends way beyond just investments. But we're telling them to do things just as much as we're telling them not to do things. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're when you're a wealthy individual, wealthy family, you've got lots of people coming at you trying to give you all kinds of advice. And generally, all those people that are coming at you and giving you advice or trying to sell you something don't see your bigger picture. Usually that bigger picture only sits with, you know, maybe mom and dad or matriarch and patriarch. But, you know, with the extension of a family office like we run, we're happy to sit in that center seat with our client and help them analyze all of these things that are being thrown at them having
0: a complete understanding of their full balance sheet their tax and legal situation mm-hmm. so do you do you kind of think that the family office model can begin to be applied a little bit lower down the sort of net worth spectrum with technology because a lot of i mean CFPs yeah. out there the average <clears throat> cfp is you know big into planning big the taxes big into yeah, I, I think there are certain pieces. I think there are
1: certain pieces you can you can pull from it, um, you know, but also part of the family office model is, and, you know, technology helps to try to solve for some of this. Is, as I ask, you know, prospective clients all the time when I tell them, listen, when you have a large balance sheet, there's a wide variety of solutions out there for you. Everything mm-hmm. from you kind of do everything yourself and pick sure. your own advisors and managers and blah, 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 all the way to the other end where you hire a firm like ours, and we kind of manage it with you, and mm-hmm. everything in between. Yeah. And it all comes down to how do you want to spend your time? Sure. How do you want to spend your time? Yeah. You know, I, 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 over 50 60% of our families that we work with at Twin Focus are investment managers, made their, made their family oh, okay. well. Yeah. Managing money, private equity, hedge funds, venture, so on.
2: Yeah. Um, And so
1: why would, why would these people need to hire you? Sure. Well, listen, you can manage your money when you've got five or $10 million. When you got a hundred or several hundred, it's just a different ball game. And it's not just managing the money. You know, you're managing it across multiple portfolios and trusts and entities and crats and clats and grats and foundations and all these various things. Right. And so that, that takes time. And, you know, wouldn't you like. Again, how do you want to spend your time when you're, you're 60 years old right, with your grandkids, or fishing, on your or boat, family your house yeah. in yeah. Nantucket or something like that? Yeah. Like, and then have a team that probably costs you basis points to do yeah. a deep dive in that are out there and implementing on a day-to-day basis. They're in the market. They're talking to the brokers. They're talking to the adv- attorneys and the accountants. And they're, you know, they're kind of you know, culling down all this information, filtering it for you, kind of trying to get rid of the noise and uh And providing it to you on a on a platter with a boat right sure. wouldn't you rather have that? But again, everybody's different. I, I've met folks that have just sold their company for hundreds or two hundreds or mil- millions of dollars or whatever, and they want to sit there and put their monthly spreadsheet together., yeah. that's not me. I mean, I do it professionally, but you know I I, I I have other things that I would rather be doing with my time than putting spreadsheets together. I'd rather review those things on a regular basis but not actually do the work, but everybody's sure. different. yeah, so. Yeah. Um, But so, yes, I do think that there are ways. I think there are tools out there that enable the, you know, kind of affluent or kind of single digit millionaire, lower digits millionaires to get some of these types of services. I think in the end of the day, though, what these wealthy families that we work with are trying to solve for is they don't want to deal with it. They don't want to. They just want one team that can go out, handle the stuff for them and come back and report to them. Let them know on the decisions yeah. they have to make, report to them, provide tons of transparency, tons of reporting, but they will just want one team in place and not have to go in, out and figure it out, do it themselves, or use some system or whatever. But I, I do think that there are absolutely some tools. Um, I, I don't think that you can provide a full-scale family office. What we do with the much smaller clients, because, again, there's just scope creep. And how do you charge yeah. for that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you, you know you got to maintain a margin. so. Um, but I think that there's certainly some things you can pull away from these types of solutions to to provide to the more mass affluent.
0: Yeah, you you kind of touched on the behavioral side of like how just people are people, right? Whether they're a billionaire or not. Um, how does like that psychological, I guess, sort of dovetail into sales and like the client relationship stuff for you? Like, um, I I don't even know what really I'm asking. Like, how like in dealing with someone with all these different complexities, how do you kind of manage that relationship with, you know, investments, family dynamics, you know, whatever else they're up to hobbies, interests, et cetera, et cetera. How do you kind of, you know, assemble a team to manage all that?
1: So, you know, this is what keeps it interesting and and what makes it a business as opposed to having kind of, you know, me working for a single family office. Right. But everybody's different. And so certainly some families are super focused on super deep dives on investment research and what you're doing and how you're allocating the money. I have other clients that if I have an investment discussion, a brief one once a year, that's cool. They're worrying about all their other issues that we're working sure. with them on. And yeah. so they don't really need to talk about the investment portfolio. Um, everybody's different, but they are probably much more intense on the kind of family office services side or administrative side. Sure. Um, and I think, you know, for us, like, what makes us good at our job is you've got to have the ability to basically become somebody's best friend very quickly, mm-hmm. know the right questions to ask, put yourself in their shoes, understand the issues that they're grappling with and, you know, and then, and think on your toes. Um, you know, I have an advantage cause I have, I do work with my twin brother. We have very different dispositions and, and demeanors and I have a third partner as well. And not everybody is, gravitates towards my personality type you know yeah. others yeah. Are, are gravitate towards my sure. brothers and yeah. so you know from a senior partner perspective we divide and conquer you know the relationships that from a to figure out who who works with who best um and then and then we build a team around every single one of those families so you know it's there's 50 plus people at the firm and even though paul wes and john are the managing partners kind of overseeing all of the aspects of the client experience you know, I've got lieutenants that run various divisions of the business sure. from compliance to finance to technology to research and portfolio management and so on. And then we build a kind of a virtual team for every single family pulling from folks from those various
0: groups. Yeah. Um, did, did you know you wanted to end up here where you would have sort of sort of specialist leaders for tax and estate and finance, et cetera, et cetera? Or like did it naturally happen that you ended up in it, this?
1: It, it, it- it naturally happened, but you know it's like you know when you build a business it, you just you may have a vision as to the way you think you want the painting to end, but it never ends exactly like that uh-huh. you, know, you know it's never culminates exactly like that, so it's it's trying different things and then also realizing that. You know, running an organization, you know organizations are living, breathing things, and they're constantly evolving. People going, people coming, new technologies introduced. And, you know, I, I tell my brother all the time, you know, when he complains about buying a new piece of technology or is this going to solve all our problems? Well, it may solve some of them today, and in three years from now, there may be a better piece of technology that makes this obsolete. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just the journey of technology, but it's also the journey of running a business. Yeah, you know you you constantly have to evolve, and then on top of that, you've got clients' lives that are evolving. On top of that, you've got an environment that's evolving, and then you've got this thing underlying called the market, which is constantly evolving. That we're sure. trying to place a bunch of kind of constant beliefs in, and you know that's changing too. You know whether it's yeah. interest rates or debt stealing or whatever. Um, but it's just, and I tell folks that hire us, it's like I can't commit to you that I'm going to have this exact staff person forever. We're going to handle this process the same way, but I can commit to you that we're an entrepreneurial team and we're going to think we're scrappy. We're thinking about solving your needs every day. And that's what you pay us a margin to do, right? You sure. pass a margin to go out and put those pieces together. So you don't have to worry about putting them together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's, let's pivot a little bit to Mr. Market and what, what, uh, what's interesting for you guys right now? What, what are you focused on? Kind of sniffing around, checking out what, where, like where, uh, where are the landmines too. like, what, what are you guys looking at?
1: So I think from a really big picture macro perspective, it's like where are we in this, you know, interest rate cycle? Um, sure. And you know, as we as the world stopped pretty quickly uh, over the last eighteen months, interest rates really, really mattered, right? Yeah, I mean, we were living in this low rate world or zero interest rate world for so so long. And that changes everything, right? That changes the mentality of the investor, the cost of money. Yeah. You know, you do you do things that you wouldn't necessarily do if there was a cost of money, you know, if there was an opportunity cost. And I mean, it's simple things like, you know, paying taxes, like overpaying your estimated taxes. You know, the past 10 years, it didn't matter. There was no cost of money. Now it's yeah. costing five percent. Sure. So, um, but but what that did is low interest rates, you know, um, you know, resulted in, in what we call these animal spirits, right? Where mm-hmm. there was excessive risk taking across the board. And 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 in in fact it inflated any most all assets that touched interest rates, everything from real estate to equities. I remember talking to my close, you know, associates, business associates, friends, Q one, Q two, twenty twenty one and saying to my friends, like, look around. This is as good as it gets. Yeah. You know, everybody's exiting, you know, you know, cryptos doing well and you yeah. know, companies are just selling at crazy multiples and just it doesn't seem like the world can get any better and I remember telling clients that I brought on around that time uh that were having big exits, you know, the uh, the universe just gave you an opportunity to kind of reach in and pull this big wad of cash out. Yeah. Don't go throw it back into the universe <clears throat> right now. Just breathe. Yeah. You know, things could sure. change. Things could change still and don't let it burn a hole in your pocket, even though it felt like it, because you were making no money on your cash, right? Yeah. Well, what a difference, you know, 18 months makes and 500 basis points or something. Um, but, you know, it, so it, the question is, you know, do rates continue? And this is all, you know, the, the, the fed has said, this is going to be data data dependent. You know, we're going to look at, look around. Sure. I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure that the fed does not want to get caught beyond the inflation eight ball, like happened in the seventies. And so I think they're steadfast about, they're not going to blink on inflation. We may get a pause here, sure. um, and to see how things play out, but I don't think, even though the market seems to be indicating that you could get some kind of reprieve later in the year or some pullback and you know rates come down I don't know i, I think that they're going to stay higher for longer just to to ensure that they've got inflation you know largely squashed i we're living in a higher inflationary world. there's no doubt about it than we were in the past several years where you had zero or two percent inflation yeah you, you had inflation luxury goods you know where all sure. the 1% or 0.1% were making all this money and going out and buying things. But other than that, we lived largely in a benign inflationary world. Yeah. And, you know, st- stating all the obvious things, you know, COVID, you know, it exacerbated that inflationary effect with, you know, supply shocks and, you know, and then obviously wars in Ukraine and so on, you got commodity issues. Um, so I think that's, that's the big question is like, what, what happens to rates? You know, with that said, I, I think the other thing is, and you know, the stock market is stock market discounts the future. So you can't you can't look at always a stock market to determine kind of economically where you're going mm-hmm. because the stock market could continue to have these kind of ebbs and flows, right? Um, you know, the 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 bigger question also is kind of where are we in this kind of credit cycle? You know, there's a lot of trades put on a lot of tech, biotech stuff that got funded the last 10 years that you wouldn't fund in this type of rate environment, sure and and you know fortune five hundred companies little companies are experiencing this now where you're having debt rollover the average the average homeowner is experiencing this now, you know I was just in a meeting with one of my real estate guys and he was saying, yeah my my wife doesn't understand that like you know our little condo it's financed at two point nine percent today if we go out and buy a bigger house, I'm gonna have to finance it at six or seven percent yeah you know plus plus the banks want which is all part and parcel with this kind of interest rate and and this credit cycle is the banks are requiring on requiring lower LTVs, loan to value. They want more equity, and yeah. this is true both on the commercial side. We have a we have a, a real estate business here as well, okay. successful real estate business where we build multifamily and to a lesser extent some industrial. But we, we built multifamily and are building multifamily all over the country. Okay, um, and it's it's interesting to see what's going on there, right? Because of inflation, sure. costs have gone up, labor costs have gone up. And because the banks are pulling back on lending, the required equity has gone up. So properties that you thought, you know, only needed $30 million of equity for a $90 million project, you know, 30%, sure. 35% LTV, uh, 35% equity to equity to value. Yeah, yeah. now require 5050, right? And they want 45 minutes. So all of a sudden your costs yeah. went up and you got to come up with more equity because the banks are just not willing to put out as much. What, so all uh, of that is recessionary. You know, yeah. all that's recessionary. And you—if know, you asked me a year ago, I would say now nah, we're going to—we're going to escape, not have a recession. I mean, I hope we don't have a recession. You're for sure you're seeing it some sectors. Yeah. The question is, do we see a broad based recession? And I think, sure. frankly, I think the jury's still out with that. You know, with yeah. small regional banks not able to lend like they used to—that's that's all recessionary stuff.
0: Yeah. Um, you kind of touched on. Uh... I was unaware that you guys had a multifamily real estate business and I've been looking for somebody to come and kind of talk to the CRE time bomb that is potentially maybe infecting all these, you know, local regional banks and credit unions. Like, what is your take? Like, is, I mean, is this something that's, you know, potentially uh, cancerous to, you know, broader economy
1: or can this kind of be self-contained in CRE or again, you got to go back to the cause. And, you know, when you look at these major cities across America, you know, I hope Boston is not counted as one of them. It's not today, but, you know, you look at New York, you look at Chicago, you look at San Francisco and, you know, they've had all kinds of crime issues. Yeah. You've had major, major issues with return to office, right? Yeah. I mean, that's another question. Yeah. And I, I'm happy to talk ad nauseum about, you know, work, work from home, work from office. Um, and you know you the world has changed right whether sure. or not we want to admit it ceos management wants to admit it the world has changed and you know in covid people kind of got this free look in heaven you know as to what is retirement oh yeah work from home don't have to get dressed and go to the office yeah. Yeah. and that thing that's worked for thousands or hundreds of years like I don't have to do that i don't have to commute and so people kind of got used to that and you know as a result I'm in professional services. We we our folks are largely back in the office. We have one day Thursdays work from home, but but I think for a lot of the other like this the tech economy and for other types of workers, it theoretically can be done remote. It's just been it's been a nightmare getting people to come back to work. Oh yeah. And you look at New York, and you look at places like San Francisco. You know, back to the real estate problem. Like you know these these buildings, maybe they're financed at sixty or seventy cents on the dollar, so the bank owns them at sixty or seventy cents on the dollar. They're probably not even worth 20 cents on the dollar. I mean, some of these yeah. buildings are 80 and 90% empty.
2: Yeah. And
1: um, tr- Traditionally, you'd say, you know what? Take that office. Let's turn it into a multifamily. Why are you going to turn downtown San Francisco right. into multifamily when everyone's moving Austin?
2: Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. I, what do you uh, do
1: with that stuff? But listen, the pendulum will swing. Sure. And w- while I think that these are challenging cities to live in today, and politically, you know, a lot of people have just not wanted to stay in California and have moved to other places, taxes and so on. At some point, you know, different political climate, you know, somebody comes in and makes hard decisions and brings in all kinds of tax incentives and tries to bring people back like they did in Detroit and other places, you know, the pendulum will swing but it's tough to make a long-term call and stuff like that. You know, it's our, most of our multifamily projects are in these kind of what used to be considered like tertiary cities. Now, all of a sudden they're secondary cities. Sacramento. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. There you go.
0: Yeah. And, and, you
1: know, because of the COVID, because of COVID and everyone could work remote, people started moving to other places. People focused on this work-life balance and moving other places like Nashville and Denver and Tampa and Kansas city and Cleveland and Columbus and, places you would have never thought of as kind of more mainstream but you know they're attracting a lot of companies and as a result the the country has been short on housing um and has gone went through and because of low rates the the country went on a massive housing boom you know building of of housing and then we had all this pent-up demand because of covid right um but do i do i think there's going to be a, a, an issue yeah uh, you know, listen. The banks have got a bunch of issues right now, right? <laughs> even even with the Federal Reserve and the you know, larger government coming in and you know hoping to backstop, the biggest problem that the banks have is that the U.S. government is their number one competitor for for deposits. Why you know why would you be putting your money at three percent when you can buy five percent treasuries for six months? Or yeah, and so th- th- that's caused that's caused a major issue with the banks, right? Even big, even the big ones have the same yeah. problem.
0: Yeah, yeah yeah I mean shoot like uh my personal family finances we're rolling t bills right now, like why why not <laughs> like yeah, you know, I can go look at Marcus and get i think like i think four to four and a half or so, but the t bill's a hundred basis points higher, so I'll just go to treasury direct and buy that instead, <laughs> yeah easy, yeah, yeah. do I mean, flat warmer. do uh I mean, in your conversations like has that ceiling been a big focus for like is it really a concern? It looks like we have a deal I mean, for people listening, it's Tuesday at twelve thirty Pacific, and it looks like there's a deal um you know is it something you guys Listen, i think
1: we, we from the very beginning we we said it's it's noise right it's it's yeah. a it's political volley right it's back and forth it's you know each each side's trying to use it to try to get their way on certain things it's gonna it's it's gonna have the, the the exact same thing that's happened the last six or seven times of the last twenty or thirty years they they're gonna they are gonna kick the can the proverbial kick the can down the road they're gonna increase the debt ceiling there's no really any other option yeah um you know and I think the market's kind of seen the playbook before <laughs> yeah you know, you, you, yeah you didn't see a lot of panic around it, so i I think for sure I think it gets worked out um and there's no other option right it, sure. it, um so I, it's it's less of an issue i mean i for sure we had some clients that were worried about like treasuries and should know, yeah. sure i be buying term treasuries on this but i i think it's i think it's mostly noise
0: yeah the, so the kick in the can thing though is that a problem like you know we've got what 31 32 trillion dollars in you know total debt like is is the debt a problem is it eventually going to cause an overhang and activity like or can we do you know i think it's I,
1: I think it's a problem it, the day that we don't own the printing press anymore right i think sure. it's a problem that that the day the u.s stops becoming the stops being the dominant power in defense and now will that day come sure it could happen you know i mean there, there's a ray dalio you know thing out that you can hear about how you know different regimes throughout history of own certain periods of time and then at some point they're kind of showing the door so could that happen in america absolutely yeah you know um and i mean geez it may be happening before our eyes we don't know it right yeah
0: the <laughs> could be, right the i mean dollarization and the stuff china and well it's, it's that but i
1: you know and i don't want to sound like an old person talking about young people and you know, but you know, I think, I think the challenge is like America was really built on just, uh, you know, hard work, what hard work, like sacrificing work-life balance. Like if you wanted work-life balance, you go to South America, you go to Europe, right? But yeah. America was a place that you could come over here as an immigrant, become a little plumber and be running a plumbing business at some point, making a half million dollars a year. I mean, that was America, yeah. but yeah. required lots of hard work. And I think, you know, throughout all this COVID stuff, I think it's more than just COVID. I think it's been built up through, you know, years. Um, I, I, you know, I, I was raised, I was born in 77. I was raised in much more of a kind of, you know, go play in traffic type mentality with parents, you know, go play in the woods, you'd be out in the woods, you know. And, and I, because perhaps I didn't have that coddling, I overcoddled my kids, yeah. you know, and, and I, you know, I want to make sure that they have everything and they don't get too many bumps and bruises, although that's part of the learning process. Sure, but I think all of that. On top of it, with as you know, and, and you know, as Elon Musk called it, this kind of laptop generation, where yeah. you know, you close a laptop, you don't have to work anymore. You know, what he said, these laptop you know, generations living in la la land and works work like you know, young people say, oh, I only want meaningful work. You kind of got to earn your way to meaningful. Yeah. work. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah, It doesn't start out meaningful like in the very beginning. Like, you know, do you think I like dialing for dollars? I had to earn my way there. Sure. You know.
2: Yeah.
1: And so I think I think all of that is potentially having adverse effects on America. You know, I'm not saying there are not some people out there that work very hard and continue to work very hard. I have some young people here at Twin Focus that are friggin' rock stars and work all oh, the yeah. time and work really yeah. hard. You know, and yeah. I think those people will run circles around and do run circles around everyone else. Yeah. But I think that the the mass of people of you know this mentality of working hard i think that's changed in america and i'm i'm a little fearful as to what that does longer term on top of the ai problem
2: yeah yeah as
1: i as i alluded to earlier yeah you know it's like you know how do you you as i mentioned i started from the bottom and got to the top and you know but i had to climb all those rungs of the ladder so i learned about it now with ai Sure, the people up here that are up here today, it's super beneficial to us and creates yep. huge efficiencies of scale and so on. It makes things cheaper. But how do you groom those next people at the top if they don't have to climb the rungs of the ladder? I mean, who knows? Maybe it's like we're using a calculator. You know, maybe it's like we're using a calculator. We get them Excel spreadsheet, right?
0: I if someone had forwarded me or someone mentioned me about we could be on the cusp of seeing like the first like solo person billion dollar enterprise of someone just creating a fantastic service putting all the tech together the right way, automating damn near everything. And then, you know, maybe there's, maybe it does unlock all this incredible yeah. efficiency I, gains I, and I, people can be more creative. Yeah. And, but it's, I all think it's, of,
1: yeah, I, I, it's real, right? It's real. It's yeah. here. Uh, you're not going to slow it down. You know, just like, you know, 20 years ago, everyone was worried about outsourcing and the globalization outsourcing to India and China and Vietnam and all that stuff. Well, you know what? No, yeah, it's going to take those people's jobs too. Right. I, I, I actually think that the next 10 years for your average white collar worker, I think it's going to be tough.
2: Yeah. I
1: think it's going to be tough. And I think, you know, the challenge in America is everybody's wanted to be white collar workers, right? And people forgot sure. about the trades. Yeah. And, you know, learn the code, a, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, nobody wants to go be mechanics and plumbers. And, you know, and by the way, that's, that's why all those folks today are making tons and tons of money. Right? You oh, can't yeah. get plumbers to come to your house because there's, there's a shortage of them.
0: Yeah, but. No, um, my buddy's uh, about to go get his uh, electrician license, and we were talking about it this last weekend. And I was like, "There's your job is totally safe, man. Until at least until the ro- robots get good enough to actually be an electrician, which is probably theoretically possible, but probably not close." Um, he's he's great, and he can make good money doing that, and basically never have to cold call. You know? Yeah. So um let's see well, i mean i don't know what else what what uh what else is interesting for you guys right now whether it's you know markets or the firm or um i mean maybe how about this what what is different about managing a global family office relative to a domestic you know say financial advisor who runs a billion dollar book like what what is it like being a global money manager
1: uh you're, you you got to think of different time zones yeah, you got to think different tax
0: jurisdictions, different
1: legal jurisdictions. We work with a lot of families, like American families, that have moved to other places. Sure, and so we help these families manage, you know, the visa process and the tax global tax process. And sure. um, you know, back to the comment about like, you know, when you're managing a family office versus a traditional wealth management, they're literally two totally separate businesses. I have a close. Yeah. To- close friend of mine that runs a very successful multi-billion dollar wealth management business and he's constantly on tv and he's he's just a marketing machine yeah very very successful and i tell him all the time i'm like you know you think you would want one of my clients but you know these hundred million dollar plus families but i'm telling you they will ruin your business if you're not set up to deal with them they will be a time suck they will not allow you to scale all that other great stuff that you do for your clients and families you won't be able to do that because you, you you have to be managing their problems every day. So sure. I think, you know, the, the, the big difference is like, there's just so many more complexities and things to think about now it's good because it creates for me job security, right? Cause somebody's yeah. got to think about this stuff. And as I tell my team all the time, if they wanted to do all this stuff, we wouldn't have any work to do. You know, yeah. they, we're here because they don't want to do it or they either can't do it. Don't want to do it. Sure. Um, and, and somebody's got to worry about all these problems. But, I, you know, that, that's the big thing. I, I think the other thing, you know, we, we talked a little bit about earlier from a business perspective is like, absolutely, we're, we're looking at AI technology solutions that we can implement into our business as every company in America, large, you know, mid-sized to large companies are doing. They're figuring out how can technology solve for some of our pain points? How can we automate, you know, how can we drop the errors and, and just create more scale? And oh. you know the stuff is out there. It's it's attainable for the average small business owner. You
0: know you yeah. can buy it, you can implement it. So for you guys looking at technology, like what if you don't mind sharing? What are like some of the pain points that you have running a, a global family office that you think AI can solve?
1: Yeah. So I, again, AI doesn't get you 100 percent the way there, but sure. it, it solves a bunch of stuff, like the remedial stuff. Um, I think that uh, for sure on the reporting side. Oh you know, yeah, managing balance sheet reporting. It doesn't get you all the way there because our clients have extremely complicated balance sheets, and no two balance sheets are alike. And we don't we don't report on simply a portfolio, which is easy. You know, one isolated portfolio, you know, yeah, mutual you've got, funds got a data feed
0: from your custodian or whatever wirehouse. Easy, easy yeah. peasy, right? Yeah.
1: We're we're dealing with um, those data feeds, but we're also dealing with you know. 100 k ones right we're dealing with all the individual investments and then on top of that you're owning them across a matrix of the family's entities right for various reasons for trust planning or to mitigate liability or charitable entities or whatever so how you own things is just as important as you know owning things you know and and sizing them yeah Um, so we we you know We've been on this campaign and used a number of reporting software over the, over, the, over the last several years to implement. And we've recently been implementing new software that's able to pull all those LP statements, you know, and they charge per like $15 or $20 per statement per month. For all, you know, some of our families have, you know, hundreds of investments that are accessed directly yeah. as opposed to outside a brokerage account. So automating yeah. that whole process. Historically, I had a team of analysts that were pulling that information down, saving the statement in a certain place, yep. uploading a number, an NAV number. Yeah. You know, all that stuff is, is automated today. Now yeah. it's the cost of an FTE, but it creates massive scale, right?
0: Yeah. And, so and and what would you say like one of your bigger challenges has been just that like single source of truth data challenge? Like again, going back to having a hundred different K K1s, like it's a lot to track and just like, you know. Yeah,
1: getting into the nitty-gritty here, um, it's complicated because you not only have all these disparate forms of data and data streams, but the timing of when you get that data is different.
2: Oh, sure, yeah. Brokerage,
1: brokerage is easy. FTP file overnight, you know, as stuff's trading. Now, when you start to spread out across all these private equity hedge fund investments, I mean, all those are reporting at different times. Yeah. And so when do you provide the client the report? The first week of the month? The second week of the month? The third yeah. week of the month? The last week of the month too late the client's going to say it's not really relevant anymore so yeah. you've got to find it in a timely manner. but by the second week of the month you don't have all the marks in yet yeah you know, so you got to make a data call as to you know when when a timing call when you're going to actually use the data and sure. you've got a disclaimer so you know there's there's nuances there but but for sure there we've been using it on the compliance side you know more technology ai solutions around compliance and you know employee reporting around their own holdings um Finance, you know, I think a lot of these. There was actually an interesting Bloomberg article that I read over the weekend. It said many of these jobs that will be most impacted by AI will be a lot of jobs held by females. Um, And so, why bookkeeping jobs, kind of uh, administrative jobs? You know, I'm not trying to make a generalization. This is what the Bloomberg article said, but you know, there's a lot of. I mean, I think about things like you know, an executive assistant, and I'm not saying all executive assistants are females by, by no means. But, you know, there's a lot of function in that executive assistant, which computers AI could do much faster. Mm-hmm. Right. You think, yeah. think about, think about scheduling. I actually handle my own scheduling. I rarely ask my EA to handle my scheduling because I'm, sure. I'm dealing with meeting requests at all hours in the night and on the weekends. And, and if I got to wait until Monday for that to get booked, it's already been mowed over my calendar. So I just yeah, book it myself. Yeah, yeah. But you but you think about a, an AI solution that could just simply look at your calendar. It it learns over time. Oh, even though it's not on my calendar, I take my boys to Jiu-Jitsu on Monday and Friday. And you know, it learns all that stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you know, there's just a lot of functions out there like, hey, book me a dinner reservation, XYZ restaurant, you know, travel, you know, sure. bookkeeping, bill payment. We do we do that type of service. We handle that type of service for our families. Yeah. And so You know, there's a lot of functions that just
0: AI can completely replace there. Sure. So I wanted to go back to uh, the reporting thing that you mentioned and sort of like getting real time data for clients. How I mean, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of a billionaire. Like, how important is it to actually have real time insight into exactly what all my different like, do they care? Maybe some do. It's not real time.
1: You, You don't need real time. You need timely. And the only yeah. re- time you actually need timely, like, just as in like nice to need to know, nice to know, you know, you don't need, you know, it's really when you're thinking about big financial decisions, sure. that's really where, where people want data. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, we're going to make a big gift to our children's irrevocable trust, or we're thinking about buying a large home somewhere, you know, how does this impact us? Right. And, you know, wealthy people still need to plan through this item, sure. right? Yeah. Ticket prices are much larger than the average yeah. person, but they, you know, Nobody has an infinite amount of money. Also, very few people have an infinite amount of money. Yeah, so Um, so um, we're gonna pay our property taxes. Yeah, you got on time. Yeah, (laughs) on time.
0: Yeah. Um, Interesting. Okay, I'm. I I was just curious because, like, um, some of the jobs that I'm kind of looking at right now for day jobs uh, talk about you know real time data for you know, global investment managers, family office, you know, mutual funds, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I was just like, it. I'm sorry,
1: how I think for the end client, for the end client, I don't think it's as important for, I think for, you know, day-to-day money managers where you're trying to get the best price on an equity or something like that, sure. it, it's more important. Um, but for, you know, I think for private equity, real estate, I mean, things move slow. They're not even though they're yeah. theoretically being priced every second, they're not really, and you know you no. have some luxury of time there.
0: They don't want to be yeah. priced every second; they can be a little more. Yeah. I, I, I
1: <laughs> say, yeah, I say all the time. You know, when you have an economic downdraft, don't you think the price of your home goes down? You, you know, you're not necessarily going to sell it, but for sure your home price has been impacted. You know, whether you, yeah. whether you hit bid or not.
0: Yeah, so, it's uh, it's like I think what Warren Buffett said about 2008. uh, I didn't, I didn't lose any money. And I think the reporters. I didn't sell. Mean. Yeah. I didn't sell. Like I just had to wait. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and time is the best hedge. Oh, for sure. It's the one commodity you can't get more of. Yep. So, um, let's see, we got a couple of minutes left here. Anything you want to wrap up with in terms of just random thoughts or. soapbox? No, stuff. this is,
1: this <laughs> was fun. We, yeah. we got to hear, hear all kinds of things. No, we could, we, I think we covered a,
0: wide gamut of topics and uh, it, was, it was fun. It was It's nice conversational. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean it was great to have you. Uh, you're welcome back anytime. Would love to just, you know keep you on the, uh, <laughs> the yearly Rolodex and if you got something to say, cool. you can always have an audience here, so. Cool. cool. Thank you for the time. Cool. Thanks Paul. Um, have, right. uh, have a good rest of the week and uh, I'll keep you posted on when we get this
2: stuff up. Awesome. Thanks, cool. man.